Hello everyone and welcome to episode 586 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, the world's leading centre for writing courses, and I'm your host. What have you been up to this week? It's been so hot lately, I've been going swimming, playing with my inflatable lilo, it's new, almost passing out while blowing up my inflatable lilo, and trying not to get the pages of my books wet while lolling about in my inflatable lilo. (laughs) There's a theme here, clearly. And, you know, big thanks to my friend Michelle for giving it to me. Now, apart from that, I'm also gearing up for the special event that I'm hosting for you. If you haven't heard, I'm hosting a very special edition of Romance Writing. In fact, I've even called it Romance Writing Special Edition. And this is the only time that I'm going to be holding this special edition this year. So why is it so special? Okay, so some of you may know that our regular romance writing course is a self-paced, self-study course, which is very popular and you can do in your own time when you enroll. So that's great. So you can fit it around your lifestyle and so on. But when you enroll in the special edition, which you should do now, because, you know, we've got some special dates coming up. I'm organizing a whole heap of bonuses at no extra cost. So for no extra cost, you still get the regular self-paced course, meaning you can access the content as soon as you enroll and work through the modules in your own time. However, for the first time ever, I'm also providing you at no extra cost three Zoom sessions with the wonderful course creator, Pamela Freeman, who also writes under Pamela Hart and has published over 40 books, including many romance novels across various genres. I'm also organizing a private Facebook group so you can be part of a close community of like-minded writers and I'll be there every step of the way. So the course is ideal for writers or emerging writers or aspiring writers who are keen to explore publishing opportunities in the romance genre. So you're going to learn how to write a romance novel that readers are going to love, okay? You're going to understand the genres and subgenres within the industry, which is more important than you think. You're going to develop your ideas in ways that suit the romance market, and you're going to learn all about the essential tropes in the romance writing industry, which is also vital because you need to understand what those tropes are and what readers and publishers expect. We're also going to cover the common romance writing pitfalls and you're going to get confidence on what you need to do next to pursue publishing your romance novel. So why am I doing this? Well, what I've noticed, well, first of all, romance is the biggest selling genre of all genres. And I'm seeing, what I'm noticing is that so many of our graduates are getting published and getting book deals. Now I want to clarify that I'm not talking about outdated ideas of what a romance novel might be. So I'm not just talking about, you know, um, the old fashioned Mills and Boone type novels or, you know, racy romances. Although if you want to write those, that's great too. I'm talking about The rom-coms that you see on the mainstream bestseller lists, uh, the contemporary romances that are regularly being made into Netflix movies, novels which may not be predominantly romance but they have romantic elements and also there are things like crime novels with romantic suspense. So many novels contain some element of romance because that's just such a great way of raising tension and increasing the stakes in your story. Many people think it's an easy genre to write, you know, but romance writing is much more than a love story and it is vital that you meet reader and publisher expectations. So it's vital that you discover what they are. 
That's where this practical course will help because it's going to equip you with the tools you need to write romance novels that sell and to carve out a successful career in the industry. So one graduate of romance writing is Ray Ann Whitehead and she said, this course is great for people wanting a greater understanding of the romance genre. Do it. <laughs> Your writing will never be the same again. Thank you, Rayanne. Okay, so remember the course that's enrolling now. It's for the first time ever, I'm providing you at no extra cost to three Zoom sessions with Pamela Freeman, uh, the private Facebook group, and of course the course. And I'll be there every step of the way. It's my gift to you when you enroll in Romance Writing Special Edition. And it's the only time the special edition will run this year. Now, this is your last chance to enroll in the special edition. I mean, if you enroll later, you'll still get the wonderful course, but the special edition that I'm hosting will be over. So do enroll now because the first of the three Zooms is the 21st of February, 2024. And then there's another one in March and another one in April to keep you supported and motivated and inspired in your romance writing journey. One person who is making waves in this genre is wonderful Australian Writer Centre graduate, Natalie Murray. And you'll hear about her fabulous journey to publication and her latest novel, Love Justine, very soon. And now let's welcome back uh, Australian Writers Centre creative writing tutor and all-round fantastic writer and, in my opinion, polymath, Nat Newman. How are you, Nat? I'm great, Valerie. How are you? Good. What have you been up to lately? Oh, well, I've uh, been busy. All my classes have started back. So back to acting class, back to singing class, back to music class, back to screen and media. So, yeah, just doing all the and things. And back to teaching your classes at the centre yes. as well. Well, that never stops. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Do you have any big goals with these classes or is there one that you're enjoying more than others? Um, as in I the ones to... that you're doing as a student? Yeah, the ones that I'm doing as a student, definitely singing is the one. I'm not a strong singer. And so it's been really exciting to push myself and discover techniques to become a better singer and also just become more comfortable with it. And, you know, sometimes you hit a bad note, but you just yeah. push on and, and keep going. And, and yeah, just, it's, it's amazing to me. Anyone can learn how to sing. It's actually true. And my teacher's amazing. I love her. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Anyone can learn to do anything. You just need to find the right um, learning experience and in some cases the right teacher yeah. uh, because that can make a huge difference. Um, I think we spoke recently about the languages that we're learning and that I mentioned that I was trying to learn Indonesian with Duolingo. And I just want to give a big shout out to Rachel who gave me some tips because I I was looking for, you know, Indonesian television shows or movies because that's a good way to kind of immerse mm -hmm. yourself. And she gave me a great tip about The Cigarette Girl on Netflix. So thank you, Rachel, if you're listening. Oh, anyway, awesome. let's move on to our writing tip this week. What have you got for us? I've got such a fun one this week, Valerie, and I don't know if it really counts as a tip, but I love it anyway. Um, okay. Have I told you that I do a thing called post-crossing? What's post-crossing? No. <laughs> okay. So post-crossing is this website and you sign up and you uh, agree to send somebody a postcard. Like a and physical postcard? A physical postcard in the mail. Okay. And so the website um, sends you an address and then you buy a postcard, you write a postcard to this person, you, you put the uh, post-crossing registration number on there and you send it off. And um, And then, of course, every time you send a postcard, you your address gets given to somebody and so then you also receive postcards 
But are you meant to write a particular message on these postcards or you send a blank postcard with just the address? Oh, yeah, no, you, you you send a message. Like some people might, you know, tell you something about their city or they might tell you something about their favourite book. Um, or, yeah, they, they'll just say hello, really. And do you ever continue the correspondence? It is possible to do that. Most people prefer not to do that. Like the kind of the, the exciting thing is to just, you know, send and receive postcards amongst strangers all around the world. So, um, so I've actually got a couple here that I've received recently. One is from Japan, um, from someone in Japan. And she sent me this beautiful postcard with pictures of sushi on it. And it's just, it's <laughs> the cutest little postcard ever. Um, and then I've got another one from China. Um, and yeah, and she just tells me a little bit about her, about her town. So it's just really, really cute. Wow. And I suppose presumably you don't actually have to put your return address. So if you don't want correspondence thereafter, you, that, that's kind of a fairly easy thing. What countries have you sent postcards to? Oh gosh, I'd have to check my stats, but like, um, like Russia, Ukraine, Germany, USA is probably the biggest one. I think I very rarely get Australia. I think I got only, I've only had Australia maybe twice, uh, New Zealand, the UK, um, France, uh, a lot to China as well. Uh, the Chinese are big post-crosses. So, yeah. It's and what really do you typically write on them? Well, I like to look at somebody's profile and sometimes they'll, they'll actually have a bit of information. You know, they might say that they love, I don't know, like one I just sent last week, the guy said that he loves um, transport and um, scenes <laughs> I know, scenes of um, like bridges and stuff. So I managed oh. to find this um, postcard. It was a, it's a picture of Circular Quay, but from like, I think like from the nineties or something. And, and I just explained to him how Circular Quay, from Circular Quay, you know, that's where you can actually get off the train and go see the Sydney Opera House and the Sydney Harbour Bridge. And you can also catch a ferry across the harbour because that's something that he might find interesting. So yeah. And then he can put it up on his wall. That guy though, he has like, I think 30,000 postcards that he has sent and received like he must have been doing it for years yeah wow I wonder if they're all about transport well no because like some people won't read the profile and they'll just send you know yeah yeah. something with flowers on it or whatever like you know now I have to ask you why do you do this well why not it's so nice (laughs) (laughs) and like you know almost every week I get um a postcard in the mail in the proper mail in a mailbox with stamps on it and someone has handwritten a message and they don't know anything about me and I don't know anything about them, but we just share this little bit of, you know, this little bit of cardboard essentially (laughs) that connects us. It's really cool. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you. Not not quite a writing tip, but a really interesting one and it sort of involves writing. So um, uh, I like it. I like it. Thank you so much for your time this week, Nat. All right. See ya. Let's move on to our competition this week. This week, I'm giving away three copies of Class by Stephanie Land, author of the New York Times bestseller, Made, as in M-A-I-D, Hard Work, Low Pay and A Mother's Will to Survive. Class is a gripping narrative which explores the challenges of college, motherhood, poverty and life beyond the experiences depicted in Made. Here's the blurb. When Stephanie Land set out to write her memoir, Made, she could never have imagined what was to come. Handpicked by President Barack Obama as one of the best books of 2019, it was called An Eye-Opening Journey into the Lives of the Working Poor. Later, it was adapted into the hit 
Netflix series Made, which was viewed by 67 million households and was Netflix's fourth most watched show in 2021, garnering three Primetime Emmy Award nominations. I watched it. It was fantastic. Stephanie's escape out of poverty and abuse in search of a better life inspired millions. Made was a story about a house cleaner, but it was also a story about a woman with a dream. In class, Stephanie takes us with her as she finishes college and pursues her writing career. Facing barriers at every turn, including a Byzantine loan system, not having enough money for food, navigating the judgments of professors and fellow students who didn't understand the demands of attending college while under the poverty line, Stephanie finds a way to survive once again, finally graduating in her mid-30s. Class paints an intimate and heartbreaking portrait of motherhood as it converges and often conflicts with personal desire and professional ambition. Who has the right to create art? Who has the right to go to college? And what kind of work is valued in our culture? In clear, candid and moving prose, Class grapples with these questions, offering a searing indictment of America's educational system and an inspiring testimony of a mother's triumph against all odds. If you want your chance to win one of three copies of Class by Stephanie Land, go to writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 19th of February and I've made it super easy for you to enter. So go to writercentre.com.au slash win. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? I hope you are because this week's word of the week is dissemble. That's D-I-S-S-E-M-B-L-E, dissemble. Now, it sounds like it might be what you could do to your IKEA furniture when you need to move it, but it's not disassemble. It's dissemble. You might be able to guess that it's related to resemble, but it's the opposite, right? So to dissemble is to give a false semblance to or to conceal the real nature of something or to feign something. So for example, the teenagers dissembled sleep until it was time to sneak out and rescue E.T. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's the word of the week, dissemble. Now let's move on to our writer in residence this week. Natalie Murray is an Australian author whose latest novel, Love Just In, is a contemporary romance published by Alan and Unwin. She's also the author of the time travel romance series, Emmy and the Tudor King, which is currently in development for television by Ambience Entertainment. And she co-writes contemporary romance with US fantasy romance author, Jenny Fife. So she's busy. Many years ago, she did several courses with the Australian Writers' Centre, and that set her on the path of becoming a fiction writer. I love Natalie's journey because she set herself a goal, worked consistently to achieve it, even among moving countries and having kids, and has now cemented her place as one of the most exciting authors who is definitely one to watch. Thanks so much for joining us today, Natalie. Thank you for having me. You know what, Valerie? I used to listen to your podcast, this podcast, right from episode one. Oh my when god! I was living in Hong Kong, <laughs> and you were hosting with Alison. I would walk around the suburb of Changkwano in Hong Kong and listen and motivate myself to get the confidence to start writing. So thank you. Oh wow! I'm so excited that it's come full circle. That just makes me so happy, and I'm so excited for you and your latest book, Love Just In. Oh my goodness! Okay, so for now, there's so much I want to talk about, but let's start with for readers who haven't got their hands on a copy yet. What is it about? 
Okay, Love Justine is an Australian contemporary romance about two best friends, Josie and Zach, who grew up together in Sydney. Josie is a budding TV reporter and Zach's a paramedic. And they're pushed apart when a tragic event causes Zach to flee Sydney and move to the city of New smaller city of Newcastle. And they haven't seen each other for a couple of years. And Josie is sent to Newcastle for work just for six months. They're thrown back into each other's lives. Their friendship's been neglected. They're struggling with mental health issues for different reasons. And they realise that while dealing with all that, they're falling in love. And a lot of drama ensues, but it it's a really beautiful story. Oh, how wonderful. Now I'm going to circle back and talk more about this particular book because contemporary romance is where it's at right now. It's huge. <laughs> but I wanted just to give uh, listeners a little bit of a backstory because you did courses with us a long time ago. You started listening to the podcast a long time ago, and this is actually not your first novel. So talk to me about first, when did you know you wanted to be an author and and then what did you do to put the steps in place to, to, to get to your first publication? Sure. Well, I was living overseas at the time. Um, I moved to Hong Kong for two years, stayed for 10. And um, I just had a baby, my first child. This was about, well, he's now 11. So it was, gosh, that long ago. And I had experimented with writing short stories I'd written a lot in my life, just nonfiction. I'd been a journalist for a number of years and I'd written blogs and things like that, but I'd never written fiction, although I was a very, very keen reader of fiction. And because I wasn't working, I was pregnant, feeling unwell, I started writing short romance stories because I'm a hopeless romantic and always have been. And I loved it. It just ignited a fire inside of me that has never really burnt out. I was shocked actually with how much I enjoyed the process. And, and I uploaded some of those really early works online somewhere. I'm sure they're not there anymore, but I got really good feedback and that motivated me to keep going. And then I started listening to your podcast and developed the confidence to try a full-length novel. Yeah, and that's where it started. And and then your full, the first full-length novel that got published became, it was an entire series. It was a series, the Emmy and the Tudor King series, because you're also really into the Tudors period, the Tudor period. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Random>. <laughs> Tell us a bit about that and why you, I mean, taking on a series is a pretty mm. big uh, undertaking why did you decide to go down that path and what is the what is Emmy in the Tudor King about well at that time I was really I was watching a show set in the in Tudor England which I've always been a fan of and I was dreaming about the Tudor period and <laughs> I just thought well this would be a great setting for a what I, I mean, I love contemporary romance as well. So I essentially wrote a story that had the feel of a contemporary romance, but it was set in Tudor England. A little bit like the TV series Rain, if anyone's seen that, where the costumes are modernised, but it's set in the 16th century. And I turned it into an Outlander style time travel romance where a girl from the modern world travels back in time to Tudor England and falls in love with the king at the time who does it was not Henry VIII um and yeah so that's where the idea came from and I decided to do a series back then because 
series were really hot at that time. And I suppose they still are now in some genres, but certainly in the fantasy genre, I would I sort of called it a historical fantasy because it had magical elements in it as well with the time travel and it was an alternate history. There was a different Tudor dynasty. And, yeah, I just thought why not turn it into three books? But I'm not sure <laughs> I would do that again now. Um, I've really tied myself up for a number of years to that one story. Yes, and you would have been dreaming about <laughs> the Tudor period if you were writing three massive books on it. So when you thought, okay, I'm going to write three books, did you actually plan the story out as in for the whole three or did you just start with the first and kind of go, oh, we'll see what happens, we'll figure it out later? Yeah, not at all. I probably should have, but I wrote book one without thinking I knew I wanted to do a book two and I left book one a little bit open-ended for that reason, but I hadn't planned out anything about what I was going to tell for the second, for the middle part of the story or the end. I had no idea how the whole series would end until I wrote the third book. But, yeah, I found it quite, strangely enough, even though I hadn't done that, I found it quite easy to plot out the second and third book books. And so um, approximately when was this period in your life where which was dominated by the Tudor era? It was around, it would have been around 2014, 15, 16, those yeah. sorts of years. And, yeah. I, it's all I, consuming, I, right, because you have to do so much research. I did. I did. I mean, I am your I am your girl at any sort of trivia night with Tudor questions. I know everything, not everything, but I know a lot about that period now. And I went to England and I visited a number of castles and historical landmarks, and, and that was a wonderful experience. And the book was actually optioned for film and television last year, which was really exciting. That's so exciting. That's brilliant. Can't wait to see it. But <laughs> then you, you've had a circuitous route to land on where you are right now, and who knows where you're going to go next, right? Um, because after that, you then started co-writing mm -hmm. romance books with another author. Tell us how that came about. Well, the author's name is Jenny Hickman. She writes as Jenny Hickman and Jenny Fife, but she's a well-known fantasy author as Jenny Hickman. She's American and she read Emmy and the Tudor King and messaged me saying how much she loved the book. And then we became social media friends, the modern way that for people to meet these days. And she lives in Ireland, even though she's American, and we developed a friendship and respect for each other's work. And then we floated the idea of co-writing over about a year where we both said oh, it would be fun to write something together and yeah about a year later we actually sat down and did it but we decided to write a contemporary romance together funnily enough even though she's a fantasy author primarily um, because we both wanted to get into that genre. So how did you divide it up on a practical level? Let's talk about that because when you co-write it's it could go so many different ways. How did you do it? I wasn't sure if it would work, to be honest, but it worked so beautifully. We First of all, we decided to write dual point of view, which helped. So the chapters alternate between the male and the female points of view. So she took one voice, I took the other, and we wrote a chapter each. We all And it became a really efficient 24-hour operation because she's based in Ireland. She would write a chapter and then I would wake up and read it. 
and then I would write a chapter. It was a little bit like passing the baton when you when you're a child and you say, and then this is this happened, and pass it to the next person. Um, it was sort of like writing a book and reading a book at the same time, which was really exciting because I didn't know what was going to happen in her chapters. And before we started, we did do some plotting. We created an outline, um, so we shared a Google document. It was as simple as that, and she would type in her ideas, and then I would type in mine, and we would see what fit together. And two heads are better than one, so we came up with a really, what I thought was a great plot for our first book, and our, we've written two together now. And then we just sat down, and then we edited each other's chapters. Right. But then when you say you sort of had a plot, at the start, but when you were at the chapter level, you you weren't sure what was going to happen next. Did you ever get to a stage where it was like, I don't know where to take this, I'm stuck? <laughs> no, because we, our writing really complements each other's. We have very similar taste in books as readers and I, I loved every chapter she wrote and I, I think she felt the same way about mine. And when we went in and edited each other's work, we would occasionally add some dialogue or enhance the scene but we never really took much away none of us neither of us has reached the point where we've said oh I don't like this or this chapter is awful or anything like that um so yeah we just have a lot of chemistry as writers which is lovely so with that did you finish the first novel that you did together first before pitching it or did you already pitch the idea to a publisher and get a book deal well, we've independently published our books together. And that, oh, cool. Yeah, that has been by choice. Um, Jenny is an indie author in her fantasy series and has done really well. It's quite, it's huge in America, indie publishing. Mm. And so she said, why don't we just publish it ourselves and see how we go? And I, I enjoy that process of being a hybrid author. So I'm traditionally published and independently published. And why it works for us is we can make our own deadlines because we're, fitting this in around our other books and so we write together when we can and we try not to stress out about it and add to our workloads and deadlines so we yeah we at the moment that's what we're doing but we'll see where it goes. <laughs> so how what has the experience been like because as you say you're traditionally published and indie published what has the experience been like or how has it differed in terms of the promotion because when you indie publish you have to do a lot more of the promotion yourself. Tell me about how your experience with that and how it's differed to your traditional books. Sure. Look, I won't lie. It is much easier promotion-wise to be traditionally published. Um, it's night and day in terms of the effort that you have to put in, um, but that just goes with the territory. I mean, as an indie author, you have full creative control and, of course, you make 100% of your royalties and some people, some authors love it for those reasons. Um, I don't mind promotion. I, I think it's fun to create reels and posts on social media, um, but it does get exhausting. And I think that's why it's great for me and Jenny as co-writers is because we can share the promotional side as well as the writing. Um, but absolutely, as a traditionally published author, you do need to promote your own books or at least I do, I like to, but it's not all my responsibility, which is nice. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's come back to Love Just In. So why did you then decide, okay, I'm going to write my own contemporary romance novel? What started that idea? 
which sure. is published and it's published by Alan Unwin, right? Yes, Alan and Unwin. Mm-hmm. Look, it, it's a couple of reasons. One is I moved back to Australia, so I decided I wanted, I was desperate to write a book set in my own country. And I decided to do contemporary romance because after doing three Tudor books and the research, the heavy research load that came with that, I thought it would be easier to write a contemporary novel and then learned it's it was not it because the Tudor romance gave me so much material just from the setting. So there were joustings and beheadings and feastings and the, the royal court and all of those set things, whereas a contemporary romance I realised I had to make the modern world seem exciting and interesting to people who are living in it every day. Um, so it wasn't easier, but it was a, it was something new. So, um, yeah, I still enjoyed it very much. So you did do several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. What did you learn from those courses that you subsequently applied in your writing? Oh, a great deal. Um, when I started plotting my Tudor book, which was, when I was heavily um, doing my Australian Writer Centre courses and listening to the podcast, it was the plotting, the characterization, um, really just learning how to tell a story. Because I'd been a writer for many years as a journalist, I knew how to put a sentence together, but I didn't know very much at all about character journeys and story arcs and that the, the knowledge I picked up from the Australian Writers' Centre is what gave me the tools to create an 85,000-word manuscript. <laughs> so <laughs> let's not- talk about this 85,000-word manuscript. Did you plot it at the start? You know, like yes. like with when you did your stuff with Jenny, you you did you had an outline. Did you mm-hmm. have an outline of this novel, of Love Just In, from the start? I sure did. I'm Jenny and I tend to create just a loose outline but when I write my solo works I'm very much a plotter in fact I had so many post-it notes color-coded all over my floor that if you looked at it you'd think I was losing my mind um and yeah so I did plot it out quite thoroughly yeah and so is that because you just feel that you need that blueprint you need that map you have you ever tried pantsing uh, look, I, I have a little bit. Um, I do like the safety net of a of a plot, but I will say that when I have plotted heavily in the past, usually the first half of my plot or my detailed outline I will mostly stick to, but the second half tends to go out the window. That's happened to me with all the books that I've plotted heavily. So what I've started doing now is plotting the first half of a book and then leaving the second half open to either pause and then plot the rest or just to pants the second half. <laughs> because a lot of, I mean, I find, at least for me, I'll start out with a very strong idea about where my characters are going and the sorts of changes they're going to experience emotionally. And then once we start, things just don't line up the way that I thought they would. And I think you need to be open to that as a writer. Oh, for sure. So with such a strong outline, well, particularly in the, in the first half, you've got a you've got a very clear um, uh, structure, obviously, to follow. So can you just give me a bit of an idea of the timeline? Uh, after you've plotted this, you know, what was the timeline? How long did it take you to then write the manuscript to a level that you were happy with? 
And as you were able to follow a, a pretty good outline, did you then go, okay, I'm going to do chapter one today, chapter two tomorrow. You know, how, how did you structure the actual writing of it? Sure. Well, I usually spend about three to four weeks on plotting if I am plotting heavily. And then I would say the first draft would take me on average three to four months. Um, that is because I do work at the same time, not full time, but part time. And I have young children as well. Um but it's funny that you've qualified it with that because other people who do not have a day job will say, oh, yes, the first draft took me two years or something. <laughs> yeah. But you're obviously a very efficient person. I am. I am extremely efficient. Um, and I think you need to be if you want to if if you want to release a book a year, which is what I aim for. And I don't always achieve it. But that is my goal. Um and because the editing stage takes a long time. So if I'm doing three to four months for the first draft, then I need to allow another three to four for editing. Um, and so, so in terms of word time, I tend to go by hours a day um, when I'm don't not on deadline. So I might try and do three to four hours of writing a day. But if I am on deadline, I tend to switch to word count and I will look at how many words I have to reach by the certain date. And then I will just divide that by how many days I have and leave a few extras for falling ill or unforeseen circumstances. And then I might do two, three, four, 5,000 words a day. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you have <laughs> do you have a peak writing period in the day where you, you know, you, you the energy flows or do you just write whenever? I write in the morning 100%. In fact, if I miss my morning window, I while I can write in the afternoon some days, I've lost that zing that I get first thing in the morning, that's that spark of energy. Um, so I do tend to book appointments and things in the afternoon for that reason. And my mornings are pretty sacred. So it starts after my kids go to school and then I will try and put in most of my words before the early afternoon. And so when you were dreaming of Tudor, you know, the Tudor <laughs> period, are you now dreaming about Newcastle? <laughs> no, because I'm living in Newcastle. Um, so... No, I'm actually not. But I tell you what, dreams can be a really good source of ideas. At least tell me that. more. So can, so can showers, funnily enough. The most <gasps> me too, showers. I get the most brilliant ideas in the shower. I, I, I feel like I need to find a shower-proof notepad or voice. There notepad. is. It's called yes. Aquanotes. <laughs> it exists. Okay, I need that. <laughs> Birthday present to myself. Yes. Um, yeah, showers, walking and dreaming. And I tend to get a lot of ideas when I'm just about to fall asleep. So I keep, <laughs> I keep a notepad next to my bed. <laughs> Not convenient times. So you mentioned that your aim is now a book a year. Um, uh, has that always been the aim or is that something developed as your author career developed? Or did you kind of st from the start going, I'm going to be an author, I'm going to write a book a year? Well, my first book took me probably three, two or three years because I was learning how to write a book and I didn't have any deadlines, which was lovely. And since then I've written a book a year. So book two in the Tudor, book three in the Tudor series, that was a year each. And then came Love Just In. Yeah. Are you working on your next novel now? 
I am. So I'm working on another Australian contemporary romance, which is set in Sydney, which is actually the city I grew up in. I was born and raised in Sydney. And yeah, I'm hoping to have it done within the next five weeks. So it's a pretty tight deadline for this one. Tell me about the most challenging and the most enjoyable aspect of writing Love Just In. Certainly the most challenging was the friends to lovers trope, the friends to lovers romance trope. That is my favourite romance trope to read. So as soon as I decided to write a contemporary romance, I knew it was going to be friends to lovers, but I didn't realise how complicated and thorny that trope is. And the reason for that is it's you have to get the reader to buy into the friendship as much as the romance. So you're really essentially building two relationships there. And then you're writing about the extremely complicated situation of best friends falling in love. Mm. And I try and write, I aspire to write stories that feel extremely real. I want the reader to feel like they're sitting in the chair next to the character and observing a real and complicated situation so I was I knew I would dig deep into the friends to lovers concept and yeah I didn't want to gloss over those tricky difficult emotional conversations that two best friends would have um, if they're falling in love and not necessarily at the same time so yeah that was really hard to write Um, the most enjoyable aspect was the friends to love it. <laughs> this gives you an insight into my personality. But, um, I don't know. I love I love building tension in romance novels. That is what I enjoy the most. Those little fleeting touches, um, accidental brush of the fingers, a little bit of eye contact that was held slightly too long. And I think when you have friends, has that forbidden love aspect as well. Mm. So they try and resist it for quite a while in this story and I found that building of that tension incredibly enjoyable to play with. <laughs> so the building of the tension is so cool and you're so right, right? I mean, it's not just about the way that you've written it. It's not just about um, little actions like a brushing of the fingers. You kind of need to know the backstory or, or you need to it, it, um, uh, some of their history is plays a lot into that. So in terms of Josie, you these fantastic characters, Josie and Zach, what did you do in thinking about their characterization and their history? Did you also plan that out beforehand? I knew, I had it all written in my head, but it wasn't in the book. So there are a number of flashback chapters in the book that weren't there when I pitched it to Alan and Unwin. So I wrote the book all in the present day and they refer to the past quite a lot. And you get the, of course, we tell the story that they've been friends since they were young teenagers. But Alan and Unwin asked if I would add in some flashback scenes to show what that friendship was like, how it started and developed. And it just added so much to the story. When I read yeah. it, I thought, wow, this is this is a just a great addition. And that's what a good editing team can do. Yes, it's just more depth, right? And it's and less exposition. Absolutely, yeah. And it was so fun to write. I like writing young characters. Emmy and the Tudor King started out as a young adult idea, but developed more into an adult story. But 
yeah, when I got to write sort of 14-year-olds, um, that was really good fun. Well, I'm so excited for you with this book, Love Justine. I know it's going to be huge. It's got real Emily Henry kind of vibes and 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 uh, she's massive. <laughs> so I am, you know, I, I'm just so thrilled um, that this has happened for you. How wonderful. Everyone go get yourself a copy of Love Justine by Natalie Murray. Thank you so much for talking Thank to you. us today, Natalie. Thank you so much, Valerie. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Natalie. I love seeing the success of our Australian Writer Centre graduates. And if you want to write a novel like Natalie, remember that this is your last chance to join Romance Writing Special Edition. Of course, if you're listening to this episode in the future, if you enrol later, you know you still get the wonderful course. But it's the special edition that I'm hosting um, right now, and that will be over in the future, obviously, because it's the only time that this is being held this year. So do enrol now, because as I mentioned, the first of the three Zooms is February 21, then there's another one in March and another in April. And of course, I will be hosting the private Facebook group through that time to keep you supported in your writing journey. That brings me to the end of this week's episode. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. Uh, If you'd like to connect with me and other aspiring, emerging and established writers, do go to our Facebook group. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community on Facebook and request to join. And feel free to connect with me on social media. I'm at Valerie Koo on Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news, where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions, and much more.